Hello, I am Katrina Collier, and as part of my mission to inspire all the people that recruit people to treat people better, I bring you the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Here, you will hear from those hiring leaders who create true partnerships with recruiters, HR, and talent acquisition because they know that it delivers a better result for the business and a better human experience. May this podcast inspire other hiring leaders to create better partnerships with their recruiters and HR. And may it inspire recruiters to create true and valuable partnerships with their hiring leaders because people make businesses succeed and people matter. So let us begin. Molly Johnson-Jones, welcome to the Hiring Partner Perspective podcast, proudly supported by the beautiful people at WorkDrive. Welcome, welcome. I love the fact you're sitting in the sun while you're doing this. I, I know, it's very nice. It's quite quite unusual for January at the moment, isn't it? I know, you've just got the perfect spot. Um, though we are having lovely London weather, aren't we? So um, for people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, how you started your business and all that kind of stuff? Give us some background. Absolutely. Uh, So I am the CEO and co-founder of Flexa Careers, which is a talent attraction and employer brand platform that focuses specifically on companies with great working environments. So as a pretty broad catch-all, that would be what we consider to be flexible working. But obviously that's evolved a hell of a lot over the last two years. So that can be location, hours, dog-friendly offices, enhanced parental leave, work from anywhere schemes, all sorts of benefits that would also impact the flexibility of people's lives. So we shine a spotlight on those companies. We verify them as flexible to make sure that it's not just paying lip service to the idea of it, but it's genuinely a flexible culture. We showcase those companies on our platform Um, And we drive users that are searching for that flexibility, which is obviously 81% of all office workers looking for a, you know, remote or hybrid or fully flexible role. Um, And we started in or launched in September 2020. And we've already grown to around 330,000 users in 57 different countries uh, with 130 companies in 12 different countries. So obviously the demand has been amazing. Perfectly timed almost. Yeah, it really served you quite well. I know we feel very lucky for that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's bizarre, isn't it? But sort of staggeringly, there are still companies that are completely stuck, which I find quite weird. But the reason I got in touch with you, as much as we already knew each other, um, was you had the article that came out. Uh, it was BBC, wasn't it? BBC Work yeah. Life, um, and it was one of the comments that you made in there. Um, about, you know, by removing the need to have a reason to request flexibility and giving everyone the freedom to choose how to work, we can make true progress on gender equality. Um, Mm. I I wondered if you wanted to talk a bit more about that. Yeah, my own kind of personal experience massively obviously influences my own opinions as it does with everybody but it's a pretty stark (laughs) pretty stark um, experience I had in when I was working in investment banking. um, I asked about from home one day a week because I have an autoimmune disease that means that sometimes I'm quite immobile, like I can't walk and my joints swell up, but I'm still fine to work. I just I just can't get into an office. But it was back in 2016 when flexibility was not normal. It was something that you might find if you were lucky. And um, they said they were open to flexible working requests. So I thought, well, I'll put a request in then. And um, 10 days later, they put a settlement package in front of me, sacked me and told me to leave immediately um wow I was yeah I was 23 
I felt very much like it was my fault I think as you do when you're young and you don't know um what the world's oh really God, like I shouldn't have told anybody that I was yeah. so silly what was I thinking how dare I be yeah. honest yeah I know it's mad yeah and I was then because of that exactly as you say like I shouldn't have said anything I then went through kind of job hunting in various different roles feeling very uncomfortable having to justify why I needed to work flexibly and I eventually just stopped telling people because mm. it was um it made me be seen very differently and be treated um othered for lack of a better term like I couldn't work in a normal way so I was therefore less able um and I also saw that not just through disability and illness but I saw it happening all the time with women who would say can I work flexible hours to pick up my children or um you know somebody if they had a dog for example and they needed to drop them off at doggy daycare people would laugh and say like your dog's not that important you know why should it impact your working hours I'm sorry (laughs) dogs are the most important (laughs) yes and then children (laughs) alienates half my listeners but you know (laughs) everyone knows I'm dog man but yeah yeah and, and um, also full-time carers as well. Full-time carers. Um, I think particularly as well, it's really, really hard on men who want to work flexibly as well because they don't feel like they necessarily have a reason, in inverted commas, to ask for it, so they don't avail of it. Um, and what we saw that was very interesting, we did a YouGov survey with over 10,000 people, was that after a year of the pandemic, the demand for flexible working from men had become pretty much equal three percentage points separated from women because they'd suddenly been allowed to work flexibly and they didn't have to justify it and that to me is so much proof that if you stop making people give a reason to ask for flexibility and they can just avail of it then it levels the playing field because suddenly everybody is treated the same and men and women and people with disabilities or people without disabilities people with dogs people with children caring responsibilities everything they are able to manage those commitments and manage who they are and thrive without needing to be put in a box and treated in different ways Mm. and that to me is the only progress I never really thought about it from the male perspective because actually it's sort of was like, well, man goes to work. You know, I'm going back like to my parents' generation, 50 yeah. <laughs> You know, man goes to work, woman stays at home, which is because my mother didn't. She worked full time, <laughs> but, you know, takes care of the kids and that that thing of actually almost like you have to work, you have to support. Yeah. And you're also reminding me of my Uber driver that I had who was, he was running a restaurant in Greenwich, you know, 200 covers, really full on stressful. And he just realised when he was sent home, ah, speaking of dogs, <laughs> Molly's just pulled her dog up onto her lap. The joy of working from home. Um, and he realised when he was forced into lockdown that he didn't know who his son was. He just went, here's this six-year-old son. I, do, I don't know him. And that was that. He just, I'm not doing it anymore. He works yeah. around his son driving an Uber, being flexible. And, and that's so, I think, that kind of progress and it's that sudden realisation that, those gender norms or those norms of working, they don't have to exist. And I think as we start to embrace flexibility as more of the norm, the questions that you know women get asked, like, oh, who's looking after the children while you're at work? And men don't get asked those questions. There's oh those kind gosh. of different things. Um, and hopefully that those expectations and those stereotypes will start to dissipate and eventually we can stop thinking in boxed ways of of living and doing and just allow people to work in a way that works for them I'm looking forward to seeing that 
Yeah, I think because I do feel like the patriarchy is starting to fall and things are changing. The pandemic spread that up, uh, sped it up, and people are just like, "I've had enough." You know, I want the change. So it's quite exciting. Now I come across recruiters all the time. So obviously, this podcast is for recruiters to partner better with hiring managers, etc. And they are saying to me, "Our company has not set its hybrid working policy, and therefore we're just struggling to recruit." Or actually, worse, it's going to be back in the office. Now I appreciate that some companies have to have staff in the office, you know, mm. it could be a factory, et cetera. But for knowledge workers especially, you know, what can recruiters do? How can they change that conversation or start to change the minds of those hiring leaders around? It is an incredibly frustrating conversation to have to have. Like I occasionally have it with people. It's like I feel like banging my head against the brick wall. It's like <laughs> open your eyes, please. Like this is crazy. But you know there are people who um are uncomfortable with change like I think the most important thing to remember with this kind of thing is there's been a paradigm shift that like would never otherwise have happened at the pace that it has and human beings are naturally afraid of the unknown Mm. and I think that one of the best ways that you can try to influence senior leadership to become more flexible or make a commitment I think there are two ways you can either go down the sort of trying to prove that like it's not a step into the unknown here are lots of different ways that companies just like ours have done it you know you can find obviously loads of information about the flexibility of different companies on Flexer if you are a recruitment company or whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) then you can see what they're doing like It doesn't necessarily mean flexibility doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take a step into el- enabling people to work anytime, anywhere, anyhow. Like that is a level of flexibility and it's at one end of the spectrum. And we're obviously seeing companies do that. But there is another end of the spectrum, which is a more, I guess, controlled level of flexibility, which is sort of that that hybrid. Like we're going to be in the office two days a week and out of the office three days a week. We're going to have core hours of 10 till 4 or 11 till 3 and work around that and set that framework because it starts to feel less unknown and more like well I can control this Mm. so I would say if you have got senior leadership that are clearly uncomfortable and pushing back don't try to make them adopt the flexibility on the really far end end of the spectrum the far end (laughs) And me too. And I think that's great. And it's how we work, but it's not for everybody. And, you know, over time, it could, it could be a journey of incremental increase in flexibility. Mm. You start making a minimum commitment, which is what we always say, like everybody definitely can work from two days a week, work from home two days a week. Mm. And everybody, our core hours are 10 till four and you work around that as you wish, you know, that's a good place to start. See how that goes. Let them get comfortable with that. Um, And then work your way up as to the time you you know way of working that that works for your company productivity and obviously balances um business needs as well Well, I think the second thing to do is scare them oh yes the other (laughs) we can't hire them yeah yeah say like 80 you know there's 81 percent of people want flexibility if you're looking at office workers around like knowledge workers around the world that's 800 million people that want Mm. flexibility yeah right if you don't offer it People are just going to leave and then they're not going to come to you. Like we talk about the great resignation. 
where about 60% of people are thinking about leaving their jobs, they're just biding their time. Like you have to look at your oh, workforce. Oh yeah, there's a whole load of carriers that's happening right now. They're holding out for those, truly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they are. And that now some of them will hold out till, you know, April mm. time and then eventually mm. it's just going to start mm. disappearing. And there's going to be this reshuffle. And I think what senior leadership need to understand and be talked through is this concept of the great reshuffle, mm. which is where like, if we've got 60% of the workforce that's, that's currently precarious, they're thinking, I'm sitting here and I might I might leave. They're going to be looking for companies that will then offer them what they want. Yeah. So if you're not offering any form of flexibility in this game of musical chairs, mm. you're going to have no one sitting on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, exactly. No one's going to choose your chair. Like, they just don't yeah. want you. So they'd it's... rather freelance than work for you. Exactly. And they can, because there's all yeah, the tools and technology out there now to allow that to happen as well. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the people are right there. It's it's you just need to go and talk to them and ask them, you know, yeah. ultimately what they're looking for. And I think the vast yeah. majority do want some form of hybrid. They don't really want to be fully remote or fully in person. There's I mean, complete you know, there are people at either end of the spectrum, of course, but yeah, you know, your people are there. Do. Talk to them. <laughs> And they want they they want that hybrid, which is an easy thing to grapple with. Like we survey or when a, when a user on boards with Flexa, we ask them about their flexible working preferences. Mm. Um, so we have tens of thousands of user data points on what they want, and sixty eight percent of people want hybrid working. Twenty four percent of people want fully remote, never go into an office again, and eight percent of people want to go into an office all the time. Just but sixty eight percent of people want hybrid. Just eight. Just eight. <laughs> Yeah, just age. Um, but there are about 20% of companies that are expecting people to be in the office all the time. So there's that eight to 20%. That's a massive disparity. Yeah. And that's not going to, that's not going to work. <laughs> no. And you just think if you're recruiting, you know, in STEM, for example, where there's such a shortage of people or even healthcare and, and you're, you're saying like, we only want the 8% that want to come into the office. Like you're yeah. just so narrowing down your talent pool. Yeah, and often, and obviously this is a large generalisation, I'm not insulting the people that want to be in the office all the time, but often the best people are the ones that are demanding more flexibility because they know they can. That's yes. a broad generalisation. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, because I imagine some people who want to go into the office are escaping. Well, actually, like you guys have just got an office because you were working from your kitchen table and you, you yeah. need a separate space. So there yeah. may be people like that. But, you yeah, know, I hear what you're saying. They, yeah, um, and... Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I, I I sort of I feel f- for companies. Just, I don't know how they're going to manage people hybridly as well. I think this is I a know. whole other. How how are they going to do it? Because it's so you know you've heard of companies putting monitoring software on there. Oh, I know. Computer. I know. You, you, because you can't, can't see Molly's face. She just raised one eyebrow. <laughs> it was beautifully timed. <laughs> We're like, oh my god. Um, but that or leaving Zoom windows open or you know oh. Yeah, you read the horror stories of like somebody, I can't remember who I was speaking to, or maybe it was an article, or I'm pretty sure it was in person. Um, they were made to have, um, yeah, their, their cameras on for 10 hours a day so that their boss could watch where they were. Like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Imagine <laughs> if you forgot, you just suddenly start picking your nose or something. Yeah. <laughs> really embarrassing. <laughs> I, it's just terrible. But I think there has yeah. to be that switch towards that. the focus, like management does become harder because it's different yeah so instead of that idea of presenteeism someone's in the office so oh they're definitely working you know that's the assumption that we've 
that we've gone mm. on for the past 50, 60 years, you know, yeah. since it's been totally normal um, to look at productivity. And now it has to be output based. Like, what mm. are you actually achieving and, and succeeding with? And it, it would concern me if somebody was in the office all the time, mm-hmm. but they weren't actually doing what they needed yeah. to do and had their productivity. Whereas if somebody's working for four hours a day, but they are just like so unbelievably productive, they're being measured on output, mm-hmm. they can do that if they want to. Yeah. And that's the world that we need to move to. But again, it's that fear of the unknown, like how I'm sure some companies are wondering how they train their managers to measure output. How do yeah. how do we move away from monitoring somebody in person to understanding what they're doing yeah, remotely? And I, I think it all comes back to trust. Yeah. It's funny you say that because it just reminds me back in the recruitment agency days where, you know, some people would be in at seven and sitting there till seven and they were doing next to no work, but they were yeah. physically present. <laughs> you know, exactly. so they look like, yeah, I used to sit at the door at 5.30. Um, yeah, I sat <laughs> I behind like, a guy. my contract says. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I sat behind a guy that used to watch BBC Sport all morning, mm. like when I was when I was working in research and stuff. Um so I do find that really interesting that that he he was then seen as a really hard worker because he was in at seven. <laughs> and nobody noticed except you. No one noticed it because I was directly behind him. And of course, if he'd <laughs> said something, they wouldn't have believed you probably. No, exactly, because he <laughs> was in all, oh, he's so committed, he's in every morning. Um, uh-huh. I think it just has to be about trust though and actual, you know, empowering your own employees to manage their own time and their own workload rather than, rather than measuring input you know you, mm. you say about recruitment it's a really really good um really good uh example it's like what used to happen is you know the number of outbound calls you made would be mm. measured or the number of emails you've sent would be measured but that's input and that's time whereas why isn't what's measured placements or relationships built or yeah. clients on boarded that's the world that we need to move to is output because if somebody has a conversion rate of like 70 percent from call to Hmm. um call to actually onboarding a client or making a placement then they should be rewarded not the people that make 100 calls and have a seven percent conversion rate yeah and that's exactly the same for emails you know when recruiters are targeted on how many they sort of basically spray and pray at people and hope someone will respond and half the reason people are so fed up when they're on linkedin yeah (laughs) another irrelevant message from a recruiter (laughs) but you're right yeah Yeah. but I, i used to have that problem back in the day as well because I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't make the call numbers, but I'd be filling, I'd be making, um, I'd be hitting my target every month. Oh, yeah, joy through joy. output, not input. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you? I mean, I don't know if you have any client examples or that. Like, how are we building that trust? How do we? Yeah. Have you had any clients say, "Oh my god, how am I going to do this?" Or they're not that vulnerable. <laughs> um, there have definitely been a couple of clients that like they've embraced flexibility from pretty early on, and then they've have had some people. Um, kind of abuse that a little bit which is a sad story because I don't think it's common I think actually often people will work harder if they're given more choice and more Mm. freedom and the ability to control their environment but they have found that some people may kind of abuse that and you know turn up to meetings late or not at all because they're working from home and they've gone to the pub um but I think (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) but I think again that comes back to a lack of measuring the right things like if if mm. someone feels driven and motivated and they've got targets to hit or deadlines then it's pretty inescapable like mm. you either are doing your work or or you aren't so I think it's about 
trust from day one. So always assume the best for a while. Don't assume the worst in the first instance. And then over time, obviously, if after a month you're you're trying to assume the best, but it's not really working, then get rid of them. Like I do, I I am an advocate for hiring fast and firing fast if it doesn't work. I think the really protracted seven stage interviews that try to get to the bottom of every thought that you've ever had in the workplace is not useful you get a sense for somebody you hire them if it doesn't work out you move on yeah. um and, and please I think ditch that-, that question about where do you see yourself in five years because none of us in January 2020 saw this <laughs> no and no one knows like I never never saw starting flexa coming five years no. ago like no way um so I think that one of the best ways that you can start with trust is think is realizing like you have probation periods for a reason Mm. you build trust with that person if it works out great then you've got somebody who can work flexibly they can meet the targets working you know with the managers that you've hired create the output that you need and if it doesn't then it's not the right environment for either of you and you move on um i think that one of the problems is that companies have is yeah that that very like the legacy employees that they get stuck with and they think well they've always worked in an office so they couldn't possibly adapt it's like well give them the benefit of the doubt yes <laughs> and see how it goes <laughs> I've been saying this a lot for uh, my generation because it's really funny there's been so much focus on the boomers and the, they're coming up retiring and the millennials who obviously we just have to make huge claims like they love avocado toast and all that sort of rubbish you know I do mm. feel for millennials they've been quite picked on but as Gen X in the middle we've been quite overlooked yeah, And I've been saying since, oh, I, I mean, going back, I did a Disrupt HR talk on it. Just the fact that so many have actually left the workforce with their ability to communicate because they're pre-technology taking over and they can use technology to work really flexibly, hmm. be a knowledge worker, deliver back to companies and all this sort of stuff. So many companies haven't noticed. Like when you talk yeah. about the people that are sort of staying, that maybe you don't really want to be the ones that want to stay. <laughs> this sort of stayed, stale employees but just there's yeah it'd be really interesting when the the boomers that are retiring because they actually are going I don't want to go back you know the pandemic's made them yeah. retire and this companies are going to go I have no leaders because their Gen X have left yeah. and they haven't noticed <laughs> yeah this little sandwiched generation in the middle yeah so, it's neglected <laughs> in so many different ways they want to totally. talks about your generation <laughs> we eat avocado toast too um <laughs> I swear I'm so millennial, it's ridiculous if I, if I listen to any of that bollocks. Um, but actually, I'm curious how you and your co-founder have found it. If you both do actually mm. just work totally flexibly, mm. what have been your lessons, like learning to communicate or just so that yeah. you do deliver? Because <laughs> day like today, you could just decide to be sitting in the park in the sun as well. <laughs> I know. Um I think it's really interesting because I think when you own a company and it's your baby, Mm. um, you just keep working. Like there's Mm -hmm. the constant fear of it not working and that keeps you going. (laughs) Um, What I find is very interesting and definitely something that we've worked really hard on is getting our team as, well, not as, I think think it's unrealistic to expect them to be as bought in as you, but... Mm with a level of bought inness that means that they also want to you know really push and be as productive as as possible and we've tried to create the best possible working environment for people to do that and we've always listened you know we've asked people what they want um we've tried to you know encompass as as much as we possibly can from them and i think 
we've always started yeah with with that kind of culture of trust um a couple a couple of people it hasn't worked out which is absolutely fine they needed more structure but we also have found people that are delighted to be working fully remotely from various different areas of the UK we come together in London once a month that's the only mandatory time that we have to be together they can come and use the office if they otherwise want to but there is no expectation um we work a four and a half day week which is lovely Mm. gives people Friday afternoon off and I think that's such a big such a big impact on work-life balance our our core hours are 11 till 3 some people start at 11 some people start at 7 like there's total freedom and I think that then because we've given so much in terms of autonomy people naturally hopefully do want to give back um and one of the biggest learnings I think that I've had from making sure that there's still a really strong team is making sure that people know each other and it's whether that's through slack or we have a really really active slack channel some of it is just total nonsense like conspiracy theories <laughs> and memes and um, and when we have our team day once a month we don't really do work per se it's like strategy in the morning and then we'll go to the pub or play crazy golf or darts yeah. or something in the afternoon um and we try to help people to kind of build their own relationships as well because I think then when everybody feels part of something and genuinely involved in it that's when remote and truly flexible working can work really well because you don't feel like you're just a cog in a big machine and you're not being rewarded or noticed for it I think a lot of it is about recognition and about relationships and about teamwork and that can be built just as strongly remotely yeah I agree and I think the thing that you kept saying there really is that mission you can get yeah. people in on it they want yeah. to be productive yeah exactly and oh. as long as you reward them for it and recognize it yeah. as well it doesn't have to be you know I think a lot of companies are slightly alarmed at the moment obviously like inflation is going up quite Isn't strongly <laughs> that means obviously wages are going to have to go up mm. which of course they should do but also then people are like and people are asking for more and more bonuses more you know there's massive wage increases because it's harder to hire talent and obviously pay is an enormous part of it and everybody deserves to be paid very fairly but reward isn't just about pay. And I think yeah. a lot of companies forget that. People need to be recognized. If they do a great job, why not send them their favorite thing? You know, we with mm. Chris, our sales guy, if he does really well, he loves steak. So we send him a box of steak in the post. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, Shannon, our you marketing can... manager, loves cider. So we send mm. us some cider. Like, yeah. you know, you can pretty you can well reward. deliver everything. <laughs> exactly which is great for a team but there's those small bits of recognition as well that I think help to create those bonds in a a remote company and I think that's often overlooked because it's seen as very small Hmm. when actually it's it's probably one of the most human parts of of being in a team and working together yeah just saying thank you sometimes isn't it yeah as well exactly rather than just people expecting to do it because it's their job like yes it is but equally you can be grateful if they do a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I th- it's interesting, Suzanne Lucas was on um, the podcast two ago and we were talking about like these companies who can't afford to raise salaries, who are going mm. to a four-day week or potentially could do that because that's basically a 20% yeah. increase, isn't it? Um, yeah. But it was also about, you know, making sure that you then, the four-day week is a four-day week. <laughs> yeah. And you set boundaries and all the sorts of things that you sound like you've put in place. Yeah, there have sure. to be boundaries. And the four-day week thing, I think it's a, it, it can be very misleading. Like everybody always says, well, Iceland did a successful, flexible four-day week trial. Mm. Mm, 
They didn't. What they did. The managers still got in touch by email every on their day. But it it also wasn't four days. It was so they reduced hours from forty, the usual, to thirty-five. But that was still spread over five days. It was just shorter. Wow. So whenever when you know when everybody raves about the four-day week, and I do think it's achievable. I do, Hmm. but it needs to be genuine. Like it can't just be four-day week. (laughs) But also, what if somebody? Because often with a four-day week, it's like, well, we don't work Friday because mm. there's not a massive loss of productivity because mm. often Fridays, people don't really work past three. <laughs> like, <To be> honest. <laughs> um, and often people will have a hangover on a Friday morning. <laughs> so like, really, Fridays are not the most productive day in the world. Um, but a lot of companies are like, well, we're going to do a genuine four-day week where people can choose the day that they have off. And I think all of those, that's going to cause a lot of mm. teething problems. And I think eventually... Um, the excitement of what the four day week can be, I worry that if it's not done well, yeah. it will just roll back and we'll we'll lose all of that progress. Yeah. Um, I think it needs to be also, you know, if you're whether you're B2B or B2C, your clients need to know when you're available. So if your company yeah. does Monday to Thursday, that's the four days, they also have the oh okay, well actually we know they don't work on Friday. So we understand we won't hear from them until Monday. Yeah. Um exactly. and that expectation as well. It and it depends it on the company. Mm. I think especially as a startup like we would really struggle not to do Friday mornings Mm. it's so busy um it's just not realistic at this point in time for us to Mm. be able to try and achieve that I'm sure for some companies it is um and I'm not saying that that. yeah yeah and I hate it when people are like god I'm so busy but it is genuine like we couldn't take another half day off of it (laughs) yeah Um, I'm really proud of you for taking time off. So it took me a really long time to take time off. I found it really hard. I would be like, oh, my God, if I'm not working all the time, I would feel guilty. I'd actually feel sick that I wasn't working my way, you know, because it's hard starting the business and getting the momentum and then you have to. And it's like this, but if I take time off, and the little voice in your head going, stop, stop. Go back to yeah. work. And you're like, no, I It'll... really need to stop or I'm going to burn out. Yeah, it's tough. So. It's really hard. And I really noticed like we, so we actually decided to do like company shutdown periods. Yeah. So we have the whole company has the last week of August off and the whole company has from the 23rd of December until the 3rd of January off. And that's additional to the 25 days holiday. So people get like 36 days plus bank holidays. And the reason that we did that is because a, it's a great way to not disrupt business continuity, but to give people extra holiday without the complete lie that is unlimited annual leave because <laughs> nobody <laughs> takes that anyway. I should no. post about that earlier, and I was like, but nobody takes it. <laughs> no. People take people end up taking less holiday according to studies. Yeah, but that that allowed us to actually take a break over over Christmas and New Year, and we, it was the first time that I'd had more than four days off consecutively in two years. Mm-hmm. And I noticed when I came back. I was actually quite looking forward to going back to work, which was not a feeling that I'd necessarily had. I never dreaded it because it's your own business, but like sometimes you do feel quite overwhelmed and you're like, God, I'm so tired. Like I just, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. Um, yeah. Whereas I didn't feel that anymore and I, I was making better decisions. And Yeah, your head as clears, much as it doesn't was, it? Your head clears, exactly. And I, I think there's also just like a low level of anxiety and, and stress that I think you have starting your business that you never really realise is there until it goes away. Mm-hmm. it's funny I never mm-hmm. really thought of myself as an anxious person and then I'm, I took the time off and I was like oh Christ actually I've just been yeah. like this ball of anxiety and stress for two years yeah 
Because it's a constant, I've got to bring in more clients, got to pay those bills, bring in more clients. Yeah. It's, it's a cycle and it keeps going, it keeps going, it just gets bigger. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, that would be the post person. Um, <laughs> is that some of that cider getting delivered? <laughs> I'm amazed that my two haven't gone off. And um, behind me, uh, Molly would have been watching my dogs walking around. <laughs> And amazingly, neither one of them sparked. I can't believe it. Um, if people want to know more about like you and what you're doing, where's yeah. the best place that we send them so that they can get some more information? If you're interested in Flexa, either as a company and getting discovered for being a great working environment, or if you are looking for a job or considering moving, you don't even have to be active, then check out it's flexa.careers. Um, or if you know, you'd like to connect with me or ask me anything about what you should be doing with your company to become more flexible. Oh, we've had this question from senior leadership and I don't know how to answer it. Then please do connect with me on, on LinkedIn. That's my most active yep. platform. And I tend to post some pretty strong opinions on there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally she might poke, uh, post uh, old BBC photos. That's so yeah. me laugh. <laughs> I love the way you did that. I was in the BBC. Just said this time, this is just getting your attention. It totally yeah. did because I was like, "Oh my god, you have to come on the podcast and talk about this." So yeah, I need to do more of that stuff. Anyway, yeah. thank you so so much for sharing all of this information. I really appreciate it, and I will make sure all your contact details are below. Thanks, thank you so Molly. much for having me. It's been a great chat. Thank you for listening to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited Podcast, proudly supported by the people at WorkDrive. Hopefully you really enjoyed what you heard and have left feeling inspired. And if so, I would love your help to create real change. Please pass this podcast on to your hiring leaders and other recruiters and HR. Even share it on your social channels if you feel so inclined. But the more reach we can get, the more change we can create. So please remember to subscribe, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. And do come and say hello at Hiring Partner Perspective on Instagram, where I share behind the scenes of what's going on. Until next time, thank you. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.